You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Werney and Ethan Sachs. Hello everyone, Rise and Shrine, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you have been drafting some absolute nonsense in M21 this week. What's up? Uh, I mean, that's that's what's up. I spent the entire week forcing non-aggressive decks just to see like what this format had to offer in preparation for this episode, and I've got a lot of sweet findings to share. Yeah, it definitely, it felt like, definitely feels like Ixalan was if folks remember watching my stream way back in the day like when everyone was just curving out and putting one with the wind on creatures and I was like taking sailor of means and trying to do like belligerent brontodon shenanigans or whatever it's uh it's very reminiscent of that I've been having a lot of fun grazing whiptail was the truth right two two gg for a three four reach yeah this this format really needs that. I mean, sometimes you'd just die to flyers. Like gnarled sage doesn't quite get you there a lot of the time. Yeah, format is sweet. I, I tried a little bit last <laughs> night. It's it's not in my nature to not try to <laughs> try my hardest to win every time, but I have a little bit of experience doing what you're talking about, and and I think you know we'll dive deep. But just warning, fair warning, you know, win rate win rate may suffer. Yeah, so what we're going to be talking about today is just like what the sweet things the format has to offer. And a lot of this comes from what I said, like forcing this kind of deck. And I don't think that is something you should do if what you're trying to do is win the most. But I want to throw out that there are other options than aggro. And I do think it's important to just have this as a weapon in your arsenal for, you know, the one in 10, 12 drafts that you do where this is the actual appropriate deck for your seat to draft. And I think you want to know like what the pick order is or what the idea about this deck is and what the the pieces, the important pieces for that deck are. So we're going to outline all of that here in our Rise and Shrine episode. But before we get into that, got to talk about the Lords of Limited Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Of course, the show is always going to be free, um, but we have some perks there over on the Patreon for the, the different tiers that you can give back to the show. Uh, everyone gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is hopping and popping as it always is at the the start of a format though i guess we're not really even at the start of the format we're about a month into m21 at this point ben format's done it's a snooze it is kind of <laughs> it is i mean it's as ben ben's an m21 apologist i am not i i like m21 but we do have as we talk about at the start of the format we do have a ton of new sets coming out rapid fire over the next few weeks that we are going to be looking at we're going to be flashing back to dominaria as that comes back to arena we're going to be looking at double masters we're going to be looking at amonkhet remastered coming out on arena as well so that's going to be coming up and all of those are going to be formats that the discord is going to be diving deep into so if you also want to have a bunch of like-minded people to discuss limited with 24 7 the discord is the place for you and uh, of course we also want to shout out our patrons the first week that they join so this week we are welcoming dion alexei justin graham andrew theo hayden cody alex widwisord connor and christopher thank you thank you thank you we really appreciate your support yeah cannot say thank you enough the discord continues to entertain me now that band is kicking up again well sort of got canceled but still kicking up i don't know the world's a weird place right now, but when I have time, I like popping into the Discord and checking in on Magic, and I have a few pings for me there waiting right now to uh, check out a draft log from someone and you know a couple deck pick questions and things like that. So always glad to hop in and take a look at what people are doing. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive right in here in an exploration in the sweetest things that M21 has to offer, and I think chief among them is the Shrine. So let, let's kick things off here with the official Lords of Limited Shrine power rankings, Ben. 
In the number one slot, we've got the Blue Shrine, Sanctum of Calm Waters, the most elusive of shrines for Ethan Sachs this week. Yeah, I think I've seen that one like once in my past 20-ish drafts. It's a bummer because it's the one that you really want to see the most. Uh, Close on its heels, I would say, is the Red Shrine, Sanctum of Shattered Heights. In the number three slot, I think also still in the relevant, you know, does some things on its own. Like this one for me is sort of in between enabler and payoff. How do you feel about that? I feel really good. So in in my mind, it's like one and two are together, gap, number three, gap, four and five. So number three is the Black Shrine, Sanctum of Stone Fangs. That's the drain one, gain one for each shrine you've got. And then number four, what what I would think or what I would have thought would have been one of the most important ones just really isn't just because it doesn't do much after the first few turns. Sanctum of Fruitful Harvest, the Green Shrine. And then bringing up the rear, Sanctum of Tranquil Light, the White Shrine. Yeah, so... The blue and the red ones here are not only the most powerful in terms of their effect, but they're also really important because they're the ones that let you get value out of excess shrines if you have multiple copies of a single shrine because they're legendary. So you can't have, you know, if you end up with two white ones in your deck, if you don't have a blue or a red one or a way to pitch as excess shrines, then you're just going to be stuck with that second one in your hand if you ever draw it. Yeah, absolutely. That's been my experience as well. Talk to me about playing, you've played the Red Shrine a fair amount without the Blue Shrine this week. Yeah, uh, it's just very good. I mean, Shock on a Stick or Lightning Bolt, if if you have three on a stick, is really good. I, the only time I've had tension is, so I haven't had the Blue Shrine that much, but I've shockingly had Ugin a number of times this week, um, which is a really good top end to these control decks, but has a lot of tension with the Red Shrine because you basically never want to pitch excess lands. Um, but outside of that, I think the card is quite good. And are you actively looking to put card draw in your deck to help give you extra lands to pitch? Or do you find that over the course of the game, you just end up with two or three lands to pitch and you're pretty happy with that? Yeah, I think two or three and you're you're pretty happy. I'm definitely looking for card draw or card filtering, as we'll talk about in just a little bit. But oftentimes, you know, again, there's some tension with the white shrine because the white shrine does want you to like play out your land so that you can pump mana into it to tap your opponent's stuff. But more often than not, you just don't have mana sinks. Like, so... And once you hit land number five or six, and especially if you have the green shrine in play, you like don't need, you know, past land number four sometimes. So you just often end up with excess lands that you can pitch to it. That makes a lot of sense to me that if you get the green and the red together too, you also free up land slots. That makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. So the blue one for my experience has not come around that much. I think just because one, if you draft Teferi's Tutelage, you want that card, but I think just blue decks in general are interested in that card some amount of the time. Um, So the red is much more common to come around. The black shrine helps you not die slash can be a win condition all on its own. And green is sometimes important depending on how deep you are in splashing slash if you like are splashing and don't end up with cultivates. And white brings up the rear, though it can be an incredibly powerful late game sink, um, especially if you do end up with cultivates. So if you do end up with you know, two shrines in play and eight mana, being able to just be like, all right, well, now I have nothing else to do, but I can tap down your two largest threats. Right. The white shrine is oppressive late in the game. Yeah. It's just like, do you have the tools to get to that late game? And that is what this deck is trying to do. And hopefully we'll be able to outline how you get there. Yeah. So speaking of how you get there, you want to draft the shrine deck like any other multicolor good stuff deck in any format. And you know, exactly what you're saying about Ixalan comes to mind, right? Because Ixalan was the beatdown format. And then we were talking about how to dirtle in Ixalan. And I think there were a little bit better tools in Ixalan than there are in M21, but you, but you still definitely can get there in M21. So here's what you're looking for. Bombs, priority number one. And there are not a lot of them in the format, followed closely by removal. Um, and I think the decks are often, because of that, 
base red or base black because that's the color where most of the removal is, you know, especially in red, shock, scorching dragon fires, and then you also get access to thriller possibilities. Following removal, we've got mana fixing, and then closely after that, card draw and card filtering, also known as velocity. Um, and the, we learn in Theros Beyond Death, right, that card filtering, specifically thrill of possibilities, does sort of work as mana fixing. And then you also, as a last ingredient here, need defensive speed and incidental life gain also goes a long way towards keeping you alive. Yeah. So, you know, this is sort of the recipe in any format. And we touch on this deck, maybe not not in every format, but certainly in formats where it feels like they come up a lot, like Dominaria, Theros Beyond Death, these multicolored good stuff decks. These are the pieces you're looking for and how you balance them is is often you know perhaps trickier or, or more difficult than meets the eye it, it's definitely a lot of a feel thing than it is like a hard and fast rule thing so we'll, we'll go through them here so looking at how these play out in m21 first up is bombs and as we said there's really not a ton you know there's ugin elder gargaroth baneslayer angel chandra these are among the best but as we discovered when we did our limited testing meeting with quarter calls there's like I don't know, a dozen cards that are better than Seasoned Hallowblade, you know? There's just not a lot in comparison to Theros Beyond Death where like half the rares and mythics were better than any uncommon or common. So you might get these bombs, you might not, but usually you're looking for the powerful uncommons and that's where the shrines come into play as stuff that becomes like greater than the sum of its parts. And that that's what you're looking to come together. Well, and specifically about the shrines, right? They're, you're going to get them late theoretically because most people like me that are in the no fun zone should not be picking them super highly right if you're not forcing this deck if you're drafting it when you're supposed to the shrines are gonna wheel sometimes for you or you'll see them very late and that's a, a recipe for a powerful deck when you get to say like hey i get to take scorching Dragonfire out of this pack and then i'm gonna wheel what's a very important piece for my deck but that no one else at the table should want right like if you can take a scorching Dragonfire and wheel a red shrine and then you pick up a blue shrine, and then you pick up one other shrine, like you're doing it. That's that's how it comes together responsibly. When you're doing it the way we're outlining, you're just picking every shrine you see. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've like I don't think I've passed a shrine. And a viral misnomer who runs 17lands.com was like watching my stream the other day, and then he reported back to me that I am the player who uses 17 lands who has drafted the most shrines. How does that make you feel? I feel great about that. <laughs> <laughs> really good. Uh, I have a little note here in the bomb section that because there are so few at rare or mythic that exist. Exist. I just want to throw out that Twinblade Assassins has felt incredibly strong in the style of decks. Not that it's bomb status, but that it's a, about the most consistent quote unquote bomb status card that you can get. It's a large body. It gives you card advantage potential. And it's that's just what this deck wants. Have you felt tension with wanting the creatures to die on your turn? Like, have you felt pressured to attack at all because of Twinblade Assassins? Or it's just, it just is good enough that it stands on its own? Well, ideally, you're killing their stuff, right? So like, Oh, like with removal, right? Sure. Yeah, you're using the Red Shrine or you're using Finishing Blow to kill something and then draw a card. Like... I think there's been a rare case where I've like felt like I've had a lot of creatures and then I could run like the witch's cauldron or whatever so that I could trigger stuff on my turn. But mostly it's you're hoping to use your suite of removal to kill their stuff. Right. You want it makes all your removal spells cantrips essentially. Yeah. So speaking of your removal spells, so we talked about this last week, but but shock, scorching dragon fire, grasp of darkness, and eliminate those low CMC removal spells are the bread and butter of this deck here. And there's also, you know, at the top of the curve, finishing blow as a catch-all removal spell 
sort of turn to slag in red. And then Pestle and Haze can be really powerful out of the sideboard. That's the one black black sorcery. It gives minus two, minus two to all creatures until end of turn. That can be really good out of the sideboard, but I still don't really want to main deck that card because it's so it's so matchup dependent. And sometimes your green white opponents can just get out of the gate ahead of it. I found Pestle and Haze has been best against red white and blue red in my experience. Do you have thoughts on that after playing more with the card? Yeah, I mean, I think it's still... If you can cast it on three, it's basically good against any deck, I would say, just because I think every deck is trying to get on board early, save for like, you know, if you see a bunch of drowsing pteranodons. But I agree that I'm still just not trying to main deck it, even with forcing these kinds of decks, just because I guess unless I have like a bunch of ways to pitch it, like Thrill of Possibility or Kinetic Augur, that kind of situational card if it's dead, you're you're often already behind. So having a dead card like that or a card that's not doing the thing that you want it to do is is pretty punishing. Right. And then last thing to, to think about here is that Hunter's Edge a lot of times is worse in these style of decks just because your creature count ends up being a lot lower. And theoretically, if you are base, like you never want to splash Hunter's Edge. And if you are base green, you theoretically should be able to pick up better removal spells in other colors. Yeah. I mean, there are times when you've got 15 creatures and then Hunter's Edge is totally fine. But again, oftentimes if you've got like, if you're base green, you've got Visionary, Cultivate, Green Sanctum, you're trying to skip that four CMC, right? You're just trying to go from from three to five to six. Yeah, for sure. So looking at mana fixing, it's tough because oftentimes you think about mana fixing being green, and I think that's sort of the green shrine leads you to think that, but you don't have to. So you've got the Sanctum of Fruitful Harvest and Cultivate in green. Colorless, you've got Meteorite, which I think is actually pretty dang good in these decks because Shock is a good effect when you're behind, you know? Um, So being able to have something that can ramp you and can pick something off. Prismite, I'm not really joking about this card. I have run it quite a bit. And just the fact that it is, that a two mana two one isn't the worst in this format when you're behind and that this does fix for you. Well, and a lot of the Sanctums are cheap, right? Like Mm -hmm. Sanctum of Tranquil Light costing two is not a big deal. Exactly, right. The dual lands, because in theory, if everyone is drafting responsibly and drafting just two color decks, almost no one wants the dual lands or cares about the dual lands. And so you get them on the wheel. So these are another example of you can like, be like, all right, I get to take this spell that's good for my deck here, but I'm eyeing that dual land as it comes around. And unlike what we were talking about with, you know, red, white and green, white aggro decks, not wanting tap dual lands, because if you've got, you know, three to five one drops, you want to make sure you curve out. These decks don't care. And oftentimes it does feel kind of good. Like if you're on like gain land, gain land, turn one and two, and you like drop a portcullis vine or whatever, or, or just gain land, gain land, you know, you've essentially fogged their Alpine watchdog, which doesn't sound like much, but that two life buffer does give you a little bit of time. For sure. And also like just thinking about the dual lands in context of letter grades, like in this format, they're probably D plus C minus or something, right? Mm-hmm. But in the context of this deck, you should be taking them as C pluses, right? You should be taking them over filler type cards because you don't know where the draft is going to take you and taking the dual lands pretty aggressively even if they don't look like they belong with the cards you have yet just opens up possibilities for you down the road for sure especially in this format where i feel like the power level drops off pretty significantly from the commons after the first few picks you know you'll we'll talk about what the important pieces are for the style of deck but a lot of the times things are interchangeable it's just like well i just need a, a body on turn two or whatever or i just need to pick up some catch-all removal spell and yes i would like it to be finishing blow but it doesn't matter if it's that or turn to slag or whatever so speaking of you know you were you were mentioning earlier that you were oftentimes base red or base black because that's where all the removal is concentrated how often do you feel like you were doing this shrine multicolored stuff and not base green like was it was it most common to be base green or how did that line up for you 
I, I ended up in Jund a lot of the time. I think I was probably base green a third to half would probably be my guess. It's not as much as you would think. Right. Like, And I've, d- I've done the shrine thing and I've been not base green both times I've had shrines on MTGO. Mm-hmm. And that, that, would, that would have been very surprising to me going into the format. I would have assumed you would almost always have been base green in the dark. And it's very good to be green. But the, but the real key, I think, is the removal in red and black and the fact that red gives you, well, we'll talk about it in just a second, red giving you thrill and kinetic auger is really important. I just want to briefly touch on, and we've done full episodes on, you know, we, we have building your mana bases and limited as an episode about like thinking about splashing in a much more broader context. So if you're newer to limited or building mana bases and you've, you know, strictly built two color decks, this may feel like foreign territory for you. So just to briefly touch on like the general rule of thumb is that you want three sources for a single pip of a splash. So let's say I'm you know, I'm green, red, and I'm splashing the white shrine. Well, then I, I'd be fine with having green sanctum, cultivate, and a plains, right? Because cultivate can find the plains. I've got the plains on its own. I've got the green sanctum as a white source. So that's three white sources for the white shrine. Now, the white shrine may be not a great example because you also want multiple sources of white mana to pump into it, but that's neither here nor there. But thinking about it like that, like three sources for one, four sources for two, and then beyond that, it gets fuzzy, but I think you really want to continue to think about your deck as base two colors. Like I've got, I'm red, black, splashing green, white. So I want to make sure I have like eight, maybe sometimes if you have to cheat seven, but like, you know, eight sources at least of my two base colors. And prismite's probably like half of a source in that recipe because it's so yeah. fragile. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because like, I don't want to feel like I have to, that I, the beauty of prismite is that sometimes when I just need to trade off for an Alpine watchdog, I can do that. And I don't want to feel like I can't do that. Right. I don't even know if you count Prismite. It's just kind of like upside. I think Prismite's just gravy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So moving on to our next ingredient here, which is velocity. Thinking back to Theris Beyond Death, and you're going to be all set. So picture Thrill of Possibility in that format, and you're trying to use Thrill of Possibility in the exact same way in this format, right? It lets you see more cards. It lets you find the shrines and assemble Shrine Tron. Or it lets you dig towards your bombs. You know, if you happen to get an Ugin or you happen to get a Chandra or whatever, it's going to help you find those cards more reliably. And to a lesser extent than Thrill of Possibility, but Trackdown is also at home very much in this style of deck, especially if you've got bombs like Elder Gargaroth that are creatures that it's going to help you find. So both of those cards really stand out. And then, you know, past that, even Kinetic Augur, you know, as letting you rummage when ETBs or Crypt Lurker, you know, letting you throw away a creature that's not relevant to dig a card deeper in your deck. All of that stuff, just the ability to find the cards that matter because you're going to have a lot of filler to help you stay alive, right? And once you've kind of stabilized, the next most important thing is to find that stuff as quickly as possible. Yeah, for sure. So I think when you think about control decks and limited or non-aggro decks and limited, you think about blue, And yeah, Blue Shrine is good at turning through your library if you're lucky to get that. Reign of Revelation is great there. But I have not ended up base blue in these decks at all this week. And I think that's partially because I haven't seen the Blue Shrine. But it's more so if you think about blue as a color in this format, it just like doesn't have the tools for defensive speed, which makes it really hard to justify as anything other than a splash. Like there are so many cards in blue that make you want to be aggressive, like Jeskai Elder, Riddle Form, Library Larcenist, Rousing Reed, Tide Skimmer, even Roaming Ghostlight, like all of those cards 
shine if you're on the front foot and are not as good if you're on the back foot. Yeah, if you're defensive, you're playing a lot of Wall of Rune, stuff like Teferi's Protégé, but it's not, it's not great. I agree. No, it's not great. So the reason I end up in Jund, not only because it gives you good removal, it gives you, you get Thrill and track down. it also offers you the best sideboard cards generally. Not that you'll have a ton of extra playables if you're drafting like a number of dual lands, but having access to Run Afoul, Return to Nature, not only to blow up artifacts or enchantments, but as an anti-reanimator card or like grab a spell when they go to cast their uh, Shipwreck Dowser, Duress, Freebooter, more or less like anti-flyer stuff, Snare Spinners, uh, the Archers, Pitchburn Devils slash Goblin Arsonists are excellent blockers against aggro decks. Sideboarding with these decks is very fun. And you also sometimes will have to sideboard into a streamlined two-color deck. And you want to be aware that that's the option. If you're just like, this matchup is too, my opponent is too fast and they're going to be on the play and it's I don't have the time to set up my shrine nonsense, then you want to have that plan to go, what's the most streamlined version of this deck too? Yeah, for sure. That all makes total sense. And then speaking of sideboarding into a streamlined two-color deck to not die, you just in general need defensive speed and incidental life gain. So green really excels at this. So Drowsing Tranodon, you know, two mana for a 3-3 defender is very good in this format. Um, You know, gets a little embarrassed if your opponent's on flyers, but still does pretty good work most of the time snare spinner wow you are shouting out snare spinner in our show notes i'm so impressed so the fact that ethan is willing to put snare spinner in these decks is a testament to how much that card is helping you stay alive because he loathes snare spinner yeah i mean you just blue dying to blue white skies is a big thing with these decks i feel like it's the most like generally you can deal with ground stuff but a card like truffle snout which is gain four and then a two two that trades with again keep talking about alpine watchdog that doesn't it's basically like a fog for you against the skies deck and snare spinner also can block stuff on the ground you know people are playing x ones you know can trade with the daybreak charger or whatever and then in their in matchups where you're just like this card doesn't matter then fine you sideboard it out when you go to game two or game three but I think I, I'm pretty sad when I end up in a base green version of these decks and I don't have access to that card. And so you're preferring to start at main deck and side it out? Yeah, like if I have two, I'll probably start one, not both. But like, you know, if I don't end up with the Pteranodons and I just need some twos, I'll play both and then I'll figure out what is better against this deck after I see my opponent's deck in game one. For sure. Truffle Snout is the literal truth, right? It's the yes, whole package here. It's so good. 2-2 gain four is so backbreaking against the aggro decks. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's interesting because green really gets clogged at the three drop slot. So you have to be very picky. Like you think about, you know, we, we were talking about green shrine and cultivate, but then there's also visionary, truffle snout, pride malkin, but pride malkin really doesn't belong in this deck. Um, and it's one of the reasons that like Pteranodon is less important. Like it's a great blocker, but you're so rarely turning it on that it's just moat piranhas a lot of the time, you know? Right, right, right. So just think about that as well when you're drafting this deck about the the three drop slot. But yeah, Truffle Snout, definitely, definitely the truth. And I think those tap lands also gaining you a life, as we said earlier, very relevant as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's shrines. There's a lot of stuff to do beyond shrines that you discovered this week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe not as much as I would like, but there are some sweet things to do. And so I just want to throw that out. And again, this disclaimer of like, I am forcing this kind of stuff. I don't think this is a winning strategy. I'm mostly 2-1-ing, which with these decks kind of feels like 3-0-ing anyway. If your goal is purely to win, I would put a lot of this stuff in reserve, um, but it's going to come up some amount of the time. So, But if, if you're hitting that 50-60 draft mark and you've, you've gotten a mythic and best of one and you want to play some best of three and, and go nuts. Oh yeah, and I would say 
I don't, I wouldn't do any of this in best of one. <laughs> like I don't, I ignore shrines in best of one. I would not try and do this. It just doesn't seem like a responsible thing to do anyway. So first up on this list is peer into the abyss. So this is four triple black for a sorcery uh, target player draws half their library and loses half their life. And you round up both times. This card is legit. So the, the, the best application for this card is to one shot your opponent when you have Teferi's tutelage in play. So you target yourself and you draw whatever, 12 cards, and then you mill your opponent 24 cards, and that usually kills them. But I have drafted this card multiple times in black-green ramp decks. And if you can build a defensive black-green shell with ramp like Visionary, Palladium Mirror, or Cultivate, this often reads as like a seven mana, draw 10, lose eight or whatever, which is incredibly powerful if you're if you have control of the board and you just need some way to like get a bunch of card advantage, this is your ticket. And then you pair that with one of my favorite cards in the set, Epitaph Golem, and you're all set. Okay, so let me ask you a question. If yeah. you if you get to the point where you have seven mana and you can afford to lose eight life as black green, haven't you already won without Peer into the Abyss? Well, not really, because like you probably you're like stable and your opponent can't attack you, but you probably don't have a way to push damage. Like black green doesn't have a lot of ways to push through a board stall, you know? Yeah, that makes sense to me. So Epitaph Golem is next up on our list here. I did have a chance to play with this last night in my foray into uh, trying to draft this deck. And I think it's relevant. I mean, I won a game because of activating Epitaph Golems. So I had this in a deck last night. It was base green red, I think. And I had a Furious Rise and I was in the process of killing my opponent and they slammed nine lives. And I was like, oh, no, I'm oh, going to wow. deck. <laughs> I'm going to deck to my Furious Rise. And then I found Epitaph Golem, and I was able to put stuff back on the bottom of my library to stay alive long enough to finish them off from their nine lives. So it does come up. Um, it's it's really slow and really clunky. But I think, you know, especially if you're getting the Blue Shrine or if you've got a lot of thrills or things like, you know, Garrick's Uprising, things that let you churn through your deck and you are doing the thing, I mean, you can get deep enough for Epitaph Golem to be relevant. The other thing about this card is that a 5-mana 3-5 is a pretty good body in this format. Like, it's a little slow, but it, it dodges a lot of removal and blanks a lot of attackers. So that's also, I think, important to note. And I think bonus points as well if you've got any shuffle effects, like if you can bottom a couple relevant spells and then shuffle them back with like a Solemn or a Fabled Passage, which are both important pieces and high picks for these multicolor decks, that's also pretty valuable that is going deep oh yeah baby i think the other thing just as a colorless blocker getting around feet of resistance that has been annoying for me when my opponents have had epitaph golem oh yeah for sure yeah that i didn't even think about that but that's nice next up on this list is gadrak the crown scourge i think this card is misunderstood in the format so this is two and a red for a five four flyer can't attack unless you control four or more artifacts at the beginning of your end step create a treasure token for each non-token creature that died this turn you should not be including this card in most red decks i think because most red decks are not interested in a three mana five four flyer with defender which is what this card reads as most of the time but i think as a card worth building around it's quite strong like i drafted a deck with this card that had like two meteorites and two prismites. So I'm like trying to actively trying to draft artifacts to turn this on, which you can do. And if you can pick up a copy of Havoc Devil, treasure tokens with Havoc Devil is very potent. Yeah, I agree 100%. I've had that exact same experience with Gadrek, maximizing it in a red controlling deck, had some prismites, had Havoc Devils, and it was sweet. And I agree that people are playing it way too often. I think you just want, you just want, I don't know, 
random three drop. You want Onaki Ogre. Yes, you would rather have Onaki Ogre in your red aggressive decks than Gadrek. Nine Lives is up next. Um, I have played with this card once and it was very powerful. As I said, my opponent almost got me with it last night as well. This is good against Dreadmaw.deck and, you know, can be very good against things like Volcanic Geyser. If your opponent's trying to deal you large chunks of damage at a time, you should be bringing this in out of the sideboard pretty aggressively. I think you could think about main decking it, but probably best out of the sideboard. Um, And along like these niche white sideboard cards, Ruined Halo also is a great defensive card. You know, you can cite it in against a fairy's tutelage, give yourself protection from that. And you can also just cite it in against opponents that have like four drowsing tranodons or whatever, because their draft pod was insane. Yeah. And we talked about this uh, was last week or two weeks ago with with talking about non-aggressive decks in this format that, you know, Swift Response, you, you don't end up base white a lot of the time, but Swift Response is a great splash removal spell in this format. And most other white drafters shouldn't want that card. So like, that's a that's another just card to keep your eye out on and a, and a card that's worth splashing white for. For sure. Death Touch Pingers as a package in this format, I think is cool to look out for. And as another like thing of, well, my draft's not going well, maybe I can scrap this deck together. So if you think about the the package of Alchemist's Gift, giving a creature death touch in conjunction with Goblin Arsonist or uh, Skeleton Archer, this is a pretty easy shell to build a deck around a lot of the time because these cards, even Skeleton Archer, seem to go pretty late in the draft. And so if you're you're having a sort of a murky draft, this can be a direction to go in for sure. I think Alchemist Gift might be my pet card in the format. I love one copy of that card in every black deck. And I think if you're doing this Archer Arsonist thing, I would run many copies of it. So we've talked a bit about Black White Life Gain, and I think you know we've got a better sense of the deck at this mm-hmm. point. And I think Beers gets credit. Uh, Beers SC from uh, Twitch and Discord for championing Black White when all of us were poo-pooing it. Uh, but the, really the key to Black White is Infernal Scarring. So that's the enchantment that gives your creature plus two plus O. And whenever the creature that it's enchanting dies, you draw a card. Yes, it can get embarrassed by Capture Sphere or Roman Ghost Slide or things like that. But the ability to turn your small lifelinkers into three powered lifelinking attackers really feels like the key to gaining three life at a time rather than trying to, you know, hope to get four or five copies of Revitalize or whatever. I think Black White is much more aggressive than we initially thought and revolves around getting those cheap lifelinkers. And obviously you want the, the Black White Uncommon, the Indulging Patrician, and then slap some Infernal Scarrings on things and beat down. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a chance to, to play a like double Infernal Scarring Black White life gain deck and you need the uncommon payoffs also that's sort of why this deck is i think it rarely comes together because you need so many good pieces but i think infernal scarring is really the truth when you're in that deck because getting like you just turn anointed chorister into i'm going to trigger my life gain stuff and what are you going to do trade with this and i still get my card back or you're just going to let it live and like god forbid you have ways to protect it with like feet of resistance or something i think uh i think you don't want to overlook this card right well and then if you're doing that right Life gain is also very potent against what the meta is doing right now, right? If people are on aggro as level one and you do assemble the deck, it's got a very good matchup against aggro decks. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the life gain payoffs, I'm really high on Silver Smoke Ghoul. Um, I think the obvious home for this card is in white black, but Truffle Snout is really this card's best friend. I had a chance of like, I think I had like triple Truffle Snout, double Silver Smoke Ghoul green black like grindy deck and it's really powerful it's it's a card i'm actively trying to make work because if you can get there this this format really rewards a recursive three mana three one right just trading off twice against an aggro deck is 
pretty backbreaking. And then you've also gained some amount of life in the process. So it feels pretty good. I think even worth like mising a blood glutton or two in your deck. Yeah, absolutely. I do think I've, I, since trying to figure out control decks and drafting a lot more black in best of three, grindy black decks love fungal rebirth, crypt lurker, witch's cauldron, being able to re- re- trigger stuff dying on your own turn helps with the best cards that deck has, like Malefic Scythe, Liliana's Devotee, and Twin Blade Assassins. Yeah, I agree. I have had some some good black green rock decks that feature all of those cards. Yeah. You've got a spicy one here. The next tagline in our show notes, nearly impossible infinite combo. So I think this is the, was a great place to, to wrap up this conversation, which is just to throw this out there. And if you assemble this, good for you. So this this combo includes three cards, two of them, two of them, or maybe three of them are rares, depending on what you get. So you got Terror of the Peaks up first. So this is one of the best cards in the format, the three red, red, five, four mythic flyer spells your opponent's cast that target it costs an additional three life to cast but the important text here is whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control terror of the peaks deals damage equal to that creature's power to any target okay so you have that in play with spore web weaver which is the three mana one four in green that whenever it's dealt damage you gain a life and make a one one sapperling so if you can somehow give spore web weaver indestructible either with selfless savior the one mana one one in white, or heroic intervention, the rare combat trick that gives your stuff indestructible until end of turn, then you can just infinitely churn out these one one sapperlings that then will trigger Terror of the Peaks. So you get to use the Terror of the Peaks trigger to ping the Spore Web Weaver, make another one one, rinse, repeat, and make as many one one sapperlings as you want. Don't you gain a life from Spore Web Weaver also? Yeah. So you also gain infinite life. Oh, champ. That's so that's what I'm trying to, to assemble. Just all you need is a mythic a rare, and another rare, or another card in a third color, and you're just good to go. Easy peasy. Yeah. All right, so I think that's going to take us to some draft logs. So we're going to go through some of these logs where you have gone pretty hard after this deck, Mm -hmm. and we're going to take a look at what you picked and what I think is (laughs) the the responsible pick. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think it's important to to note that. But just I want to throw out the... There's other options in the world here, folks, than just, you know, I think the, the the format, for lack of a better word, feels slightly solved to me. Like, I think green, white, red, white, and then blue, red, just slightly below those two are the best decks in the format. Aggro is the place to be. The table can support one black drafter, probably, and you don't want to be that person until you know you're that person. <laughs> is that, is, are those fair statements to no, make? No, I agree. I agree 100% with all of that. Yeah. So I think, like, if you're looking to, to spice things up, I have I got the route for you. <laughs> I was just picturing like, you know, you, you don't want to be that guy. And then like, once you know you're that guy, like that obnoxious guy, you just lean into it yeah. super hard. Exactly. All right. So here we've got uh, got a draft from Best of Three on Arena. So Ben, are you ready to take a seat? I am. All right. Pack one, pick one. Following cards as options. Best common in the pack is Shock. Uh, we've got some good uncommons here in Eliminate. One in a black instant destroy target creature with CMC three or less. Vryn Wingmare, which I actually like quite a bit. Two and a white for a two one flyer. Non-creature spells cost one more to cast. That's probably going to be eclipsed by the other uncommon here, Siege Striker, two and a white for a 1-1 double strike. Whenever it attacks, you can tap any number of untapped creatures you control, and it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn for each creature tapped this way. And your rare is the aforementioned nine lives. Yeah, so for me, this boils down very quickly to Shock versus Eliminate. I love Siege Striker, but not quite enough to want to start a draft off with it over these two removal spells interesting yeah i think i think i'm on shock pack one pick one because i want to be red more than i want to be black but 
you know, you can make the you can make the case for eliminate that it's a better card and people aren't going to be trying to be black. So maybe you hedge against like the level one thing if you're in a pod where you know people know what they're doing. But I think just like random arena draft, I'm on shock in a very competitive pod. I think I might take eliminate over shock, assuming that people are going to avoid black, but maybe that's just leveling myself. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting because I think if I'm trying to draft the what I think is the best deck, I would take Siege Striker here over the removal spells. Just because you think white's the best color? I think white's the best color. And I think Siege Striker, it's just like not hard, especially if you have it early, to make it the best it can be. Like with the Satessan training, it's so good with Alpine Watchdogs because you can still attack with the dogs and then tap them. Like I think Striker's really the truth. I agree. The one knock I have against it is that it dies to Skeleton Archer. And when that happens, it feels so bad. And that probably happens to you every time you cast the card. It does. Absolutely. I'm glad (laughs) that you are aware of my life situation. It's tough out there, man. (laughs) I know. It's hard. So I snapped up Eliminate here over Shock in this idea of I'm going to be forcing these non-aggressive decks. And I think Eliminate is a better pickup there than Shock. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it kills more things. Moving on to pack one, pick two. Best common by perhaps not a country mile, but but some amount of a mile is Bosri's Acolyte. And then moving on to the uncommons, I think it, it really only boils down to these two choices of Acolyte versus uh, Twin Blade Assassins at Uncommon, the three black green, five, four. At the beginning of your end step, if a creature died this turn, you draw a card. Yeah, so I think no matter what your first pick was from the last pack, Basri's Acolyte is the responsible pick here. So for me, white <laughs> white is a very bad color to have as your base color in a non-aggro deck. Like almost none of what white does well is support non-aggressive strategies. So uh, Acolyte is not on my radar here and I'm snapping up Twin Blade Assassins. Yeah, I think given, given your mission statement, I, I agree. Pack one, pick three. Following cards as options at common. There's a trackdown. There's a Prismite. There's an Opt, there's a Keen Glidemaster, Chandra's Magmut, and those are probably the commons worth mentioning. Uh, at Uncommon, there's a Fungal Rebirth, two in a green instant, return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. If a creature died this turn, you get to make two 1-1 Saproling tokens. And your rare, still in the pack, Ben, Sanctum of All. Yeah, so this is Wooburg, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you get to search your library and or graveyard for a shrine card and put it onto the battlefield. So really important that you get that trigger before the shrine triggers. So that's a that's a pretty big game. And then the other ability that's got that's completely unnecessary and yeah. excessive is if you assemble Shrine Tron and you've got all five, all your shrines trigger an additional time. Yeah, so I think it's important to talk about Sanctum of All, Ben, because I, I think on its face value, and I think you and I both, or at least I had, the impression that this card was stone unplayable. Having the chance to play with this card a number of times, it's quite good. Oh, no, I yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on that wavelength. Yeah, so, but I think we want to talk about perhaps like what the, the floor of this card is. My feeling is if you have three shrines of different colors, then I'm very happy about Sanctum of All. And I'm specifically very happy about it with the blue shrine, like searching up the blue shrine and then getting that trigger immediately, searching up the red shrine and already knowing that it can just shock stuff. That's really important. I agree 100%. I think with with the caveat that you have the mana base that can cast it, which not all decks do. Right. Yeah. And you have to be be responsible with your mana base, understand like how to build a deck that can cast this, etc. I don't know if I should be third picking it, though. I would if your mission statement is to do this, I think you have to third pick this card, right? It's it's like the cube thing, right? Where you you know, like people tell you, oh, this is gonna wheel, you don't need to pick it. And you're like, but it's the card I want, I'm gonna pick it like, I think so, (laughs) you know, 
full full disclosure into the the Lords of Limited podcast making here. So we we post draft logs for each other in the show notes, and I took a look at this draft log, and I saw that Ethan did not take Sanctum of All here, and I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately click 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 to see if Sanctum of All wheeled, and spoilers, it does not, which is a pretty big feels bad, right? Yeah, because I do end up. And a, sh- a pretty heavy. I think I have end up with four shrines in this deck. Spoiler alert! And I would have loved to have Sanctum of All. So it's a, it's a bummer here. So yeah, I, I was thinking Odal Wheel Fungal Rebirth is a really good piece to this deck's puzzle. And if it doesn't wheel and I don't end up with shrines, like then I still have a good like good three cards of Eliminate, Twin Blade Assassins, and Rebirth as a base for like a Golgari control deck. Right. But if if we're trying to have fun and go deep, I think you got to pick Sanctum of All here. Like your deck's not going to make or break fungal rebirth wheeling yeah. or not wheeling and sanctum of all is like the most fun card right yeah i agree and i have much regrets for not taking it here <laughs> so for me with the shock and a basri's acolyte i'm trying to decide between like chandra's magma and short sword probably and i think i'm just landing on chandra's magma as a great two drop yeah magma's great here for you as a follow-up to shock i think next up we've got uh, your aggro deck's looking kind of thin here ben i don't know you've got Staunch Shield Maid and Thrill of Possibility as red white cards. Yeah, it's tough. That's great for me, though. I've got a Truffle Snout in the pack. Yeah, so you're slamming Truffle Snout. Options for me, I think I'm trying to decide between Keen Glide Master and Staunch Shield Mate. And I think I would just take Keen Glide Master here as like the most aggressive card in the pack, but I would be a little worried. There's a there's an uncommon missing from the pack, so that means people have taken two commons here. Um, but the whole pack is just very weak. So I think in M21, that's another thing that we haven't really talked about. But so quickly to run through this pack, rare, see the truth, garbage, fierce empath, largely unplayable, unless you've got like six CMC bombs to go get Skyway Sniper, unplayable for the most part, like good sideboard card, Gloom Sower, bad, King Glidemaster, playable, filler plus maybe, Library Larcenist, bad, Rookie Mistake, bad, Staunch Shieldmate, bad, Thrill of Possibility, bad, Tome Anima, bad, like Truffle Snout, you know, good in our deck, but, and, and get just a, like a rock solid green card. Like Truffle Snout is filler and filler plus in the green white counter deck. But when you run into packs like this, it's important not to panic, I think. Yes. Also, like, and to just take a second and say, this is a bad pack. Like, I'm not going to take much signaling away from this. And like, don't, don't just totally throw everything that you're doing away. So I think I would take King Glidemaster and not not be super worried. Here's a concept that I think people don't think about enough is that especially if, so for, for us, we get a good card here. But if you're drafting the correct way, you know, you've got what, what Ben has, which is Shock into Acolyte into Magma. This pick doesn't matter. Like, I think we, we really, we're like, oh, it's pack one, pick four. Like, what am I supposed to take? This pick is largely not going to dictate, one, what, what the people to your left take out of the pack. It's hard to glean much out of the pack. And your deck is not going to make or break with a Glide Master or a Shield Mate or a Thrill of Possibility. So it's okay to understand that some picks just don't actually matter. And there's, there, you could maybe make a case for taking Shield Mate to totally cut white as signaling. Sure. But I think... I would I think King Glidemaster is enough better of a card than Staunch Shieldmate that I would rather give myself out to be blue red. Mm-hmm. So that, that's where my brain's at. Yeah. So we're gonna land on truffles now here. And we're 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 cooking here with a good little green black home for our control deck. Next up we see uh there's Skeleton Archer, Sabretooth Mauler at common. Um for red white, you've got Turret Ogre, another thrill of possibility, a secure the scene, and rambunctious mutt. 
And the rare is still in the pack, and that is Fabled Passage. Ooh, baby. Yeah, so I'm I, my draft is not going great. I've got Shock and Chandra's Magma as two red cards. Basri's Acolyte as my lone white card, and King Clydemaster as a blue card. So not a lot of options for me here. Like the, the best thing is probably Turret Ogre just to get deeper into red. Um, and looking like white's not flowing at this point for Basri's Acolyte. So there's three uncommons and a common missing out of the pack. I think for you you're thrilled to snap up Fabled Passage here, and I think some consideration to Skeleton Archer as well. Yeah, I'll say a note about Skeleton Archer. It's a card that the deck actively wants access to, but your four drop slot can get pretty clogged. And like, if you don't end up with Archer, Crypt Lurker does a fine impression. And then there are some matchups where you're just like, Archer's not hitting anything. It's just a hill giant. I'd rather have something else. So you also want to like be aware of siding it out, which I've done multiple times. But I agree. Archer's a good card for this deck. Yeah, and I think you can get them later. And I agree that the four slot can get really clogged. So did you snap up Fabled Passage? Snap up Fabled Passage. And next pack, it's it's starting to cook here, Ben. We see a red shrine. Sanctum of Shattered Heights up next. Uh, we get another Fungal Rebirth. And then pack one, pick eight, a Sanctum of Fruitful Harvest. But as you already said... We do not end up getting the uh, Sanctum of All on the wheel. But starting off pack one is like a nice base black green control deck with the red shrine, the green shrine, a couple fungal rebirths. It's a good place to start. Yeah, and I think your deck at this point is much better than my deck. I mean, I think so. That That's sort of, you know, that's like accidental basically, right? Because... I just started forcing this like your route is correct. I, I agree. But I think that's interesting to note, right? Like as as something to think about, you know, we did talk about the possibility that taking eliminates better just because black is more open, you know, but then so I'm I'm going to end up in I'm sort of priced into playing red at this point, And I have to figure out how to build some other deck around the red cards I've got. Yeah. My deck ends up base green black, but a lot of red cards. There's a Sanctum of Shattered Heights, a Scorching Dragonfire, four copies of Thrill of Possibility, which was very important to the deck. And I got four out of the five shrines, just didn't get the blue one. Can you imagine if you'd had Sanctum of All? I can imagine this deck would have been much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have been sweet. All right. So we're going to take a seat at one of my round tables. This is from MTGO. So we're, we're in try hard mode here. I was telling Ben before we started recording that I had a coaching session right before this. I mean, like dove into the draft and it was such a like weird calibration for me. <laughs> like it was like grasp of darkness versus Basri solidarity. And I was like, must resist grasp of darkness. <laughs> I was like, I have to give the correct advice here. Yeah. So pack one, pick one, you sit down and you see the following options, commons that stand out. There's a shock. There's a roaming ghost light, three blue blue for the three, two flyer. When ETBs return up to one target non-spirit creature to its owner's hand. And I think moving on to the uncommons then, there's Teferi's Toots, two and a blue for the enchantment. When ETBs, you draw a card, discard a card, and whenever you draw a card, target opponent mills two. I think really that's the only other card that's in consideration in the pack. Excuse me. <laughs> there's a Sanctum of Fruitful Harvest right next to the tutelage. There is. I, I said we were in tryhard mode. Okay, right, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I mean, if, you, yeah, if you're in tryhard mode, I think it comes down to shock versus tutelage. I think if you're taking a blue card, tutelage is better than ghost light. It's tough. Like, tutelage is very powerful, but I am much lower on it than I was a few weeks ago at the start of the format. Really? I am not at all. Talk to me about that. It's just not a deck I want to end up in a lot like sort of what i talked about with yeah blue has the tools for that but blue doesn't really have a lot of the tools to back up a, a defensive card and i recognize that this is not necessarily a defensive card but if this is your game plan you want to support that by not dying and i i think blue lacks the tools to do that i think it's a very powerful card still and i would probably land on it here 
but it's a, it's very close to shock for me. Okay. Uh, I did land on the Teferi's Tutelage. So moving on to pack one, pick two, you see the following cards as options. There's a Mistral Singer, two in a blue for a 2-2 flyer with prowess. Best red card in the pack, Igneous Cur, one in a red for the 1-2, and you can pay one in a red to give it plus 2 plus 0 until end of turn. There's an Alpine Watchdog, one in a white for the 2-2 Vigi. And then moving on to the uncommons, there's Unsubstantiate, one in a blue for an instant return target spell or creature to its owner's hand and also sanctum of stone fangs one and a black at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase each opponent loses x life and you gain x where x is the number of shrines you control all right so i see sanctum of stone fangs selected here for you but i have to ask like if we're in try hard mode that can't be the pick right uh I disagree because of what you said about noting that there's a green sanctum in pack one pick one so i think there's a lot of things going on here right Teferi's tutelage incentivizes you to not be aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I think shrines also excel in non-aggressive decks. And knowing that I'm got a very reasonable chance to wield the green sanctum and pretty low opportunity cost of taking the black sanctum here that I think it's actually just right. I obviously I am happy to take sanctum of stone fangs here <laughs> and, and wield the sanctum of fruitful harvest. I think there's definitely a consideration for unsubstantiate here or even mistral singer but even even so just talking about those two cards as being strong blue cards here though i think the world at large is probably lower on mistral singer than we were at the start neither of those cards pairs particularly well with tutelage right i mean unsubstantiate can help you not die that that's what i was thinking right like if there's you know reign of revelation here or whatever i'm slamming it mm -hmm. but both of those cards like unsubstantiate i think goes better in a blue defensive deck as a as a one of than mistral singer i'm really low on mistral singer these days yeah i am too this is just a terrible blocker like all, all these blue cards that like dictate that you have to be the attacker whether or not the game dictates that are, are bummers for me right so would you agree that that the black sanctum is the highest upside card here 100 percent. right so that that's why that's why i took it but all the shrines are are that in a sense like especially early in a draft right yeah i mean well so yeah but i think that's why i don't i think it's defensible certainly as the correct pick here oh yeah yeah, I agree. Especially, like, I think less so if you don't have the green Sanctum, pack one, pick one. Yeah, that's the question, right? If that's not in your first pack, do you still take Sanctum of Stonefangs here? No, I would be on Unsubstantiate. Okay, all right. I think that's important to note. Yeah, for sure. So snapped up the Black Sanctum. So we've got a Teferi's Tutelage and a Black Sanctum. Moving on to pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. There's... Our, our boy, Truffle Snout, two in a green for the 2-2 two -two and ETBs. You put a plus one, plus one counter on it, or you gain four. Rousing Reed, two in a blue for the aura. Enchanted Creature gets plus one, plus one of flying. And when it ETBs, you draw to discard a card. Moving on to the uncommons, there's a Tempered Veteran, one in a white for the 1-2. You can pay one, tap, put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature with a plus one, plus one counter on it. Or you can pay four white, white tap to put the first plus one, plus one counter on a creature. There's Havoc Jester, four and a red for the five, five. When you sack a permanent, Havoc Jester deals one damage to any target. And also Alpine Houndmaster, still chilling in the pack. Red, white for a two, two. When ETBs, you search your library for a card named Alpine Watchdog or Igneous Cur. Reveal them and put them into your hand. And whenever Alpine Houndmaster attacks, it gets plus X plus O, where X is the number of attacking creatures you control. Pack one, pick one. Are there any commons you're taking over, Houndmaster? Mm, yeah, I would take dragon fire and visionary and tyrannodon there yeah I, yeah i would i would take the best single colored commons over houndmaster pack one pick one yeah so there's a, there's a rare and a common missing here all three uncommon still here i'm gonna use the uh, the windmill slam here for alpine houndmaster third wow the windmill slam yeah this card is super powerful we there was a watchdog and an igneous cur in the last pack and like one of those could wheel 
I don't know. I think Houndmaster, we're talking about upside. Houndmaster has the highest upside out of this pack and there's nothing really good. I mean, you. I think you could take, if you were really like, I'm 100% that that green sanctum is going to wheel, then you could take Truffle Snout here. But other than that, I don't see anything that's appealing to me with what we have. Yeah, I took Rousing Reed here because it's a draw two with Teferi's Tutelage. But I, yeah, I mean, maybe that's too tunneling on Teferi's Tutelage. I could, you could convince me that Alpine Houndmaster is the right pick here. The, the problem with Rousing Reed is you need a body in play and you also need to cast it into not open mana. It's, I don't know. I, I, I recognize that Rousing Reed is very powerful, but I think it's very powerful when you're assertive. When you're not assertive, I think it goes down for me. I agree. I was so we were, I was just arguing with Alex on stream about this last night. He was coming on, like he was saying Rousing Reed is the best blue common. And I was like, I don't know if I agree with that. I still think it's Ghostlight, you know, because my, my contention is that when Ghostlight is good, it's great. And when it's not, you just don't include it. Whereas like Rousing Reed is usually medium plus in most decks, like very good in blue green, I think. And, you know, good on curve in blue white when you're jumping a watchdog or something, but its ceiling is lower than Roman ghost lights. I agree with that. Yeah. So I think by the end, he might've had me convinced. I don't know. It's very close, but I, I, <laughs> all those points that you raised, I, I share those same, those same reservations about rousing read. So moving on to pack one, pick four, see the following cards as options. There's a short sword, uh, one mana for the equipment that gives plus one plus one and has an equip cost of one best red card in the pack goblin wizardry three and a red for the instant create two one one goblin wizard creature tokens with prowess best black card in the pack death bloom thalad two and a black for a three two when it dies create a one one green sapling creature and not a lot else going on behind that there's an invigorating surge two and a green for the instant put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control then double the number of plus one plus one counters on that creature that's a great card probably just the best card in the pack but we're pretty far away from that with either of our routes through the draft so far yeah, I think no matter what you've done so far, or I guess assuming you take in Sanctum of Stonefangs, you're supposed to take Deathbloom Thalad here. Like e- even with me taking Houndmaster last pack, there's nothing for me here. Right. Yeah. So are you taking Deathbloom Thalad even if you took Alpine Houndmaster last pack? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we've now got Tutelage, Sanctum of Stonefangs, Arousing Reed from my root, Alpine Houndmaster from your root, and we both settled on Deathbloom Thalad that last pack. Pack one, pick five, baby. What a lucky boy. Yeah. Commons truffle snout, but we're going to skip straight over to the uncommons where there is the blue Sanctum of Calm Waters, three and a blue, and at the beginning of your pre-comment main phase, you draw X cards where X is the number of shrines you control and then discard a card. Yeah, I mean, you're thrilled here. You take the blue shrine, and you. I feel like at this point, you're just salivating, waiting for pick nine to see the green shrine. Yeah, so I, I do think we are just going to jump ahead to that. Pick six, rise again, nothing exciting. Pick seven, Bloodfell Caves out of a very weak pack. Pick eight, took a Fetid Imp to, you know, some defensive speed. Although in hindsight, I would take... Meteorite, baby. What? Meteorite. Oh, Meteorite, yeah. There's Meteorite, pack one, pick eight, two. Yeah, I was not on that wavelength at this point. I think you could also make, there's a Wall of Runes in that same pack. So I think maybe Wall of Runes and or Meteorite would have been a much better pick there. And then pack one, pick nine, ding, 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 ding. We did it. Sanctum of Fruitful Harvest. So what does this deck end up looking like? Yeah, so this deck is base blue-black, have double of the blue Sanctum, a red Sanctum, a green Sanctum, and a black Sanctum, have some fixing, have... Two Swiftwater Cliffs, a Rugged Highlands, and a Bloodfell Cave. So we have some duels. We've got double frantic inventory. It's a little loose on the bottom of the curve. Like <laughs> I, this was this was pre me knowing that Wall of Runes was very good defensive speed in blue decks. Mm. Um, this was from a, this draft was from a little earlier in the format. So 
I think you know, had I snapped up some wall of runes, this would be better looking, but a very powerful deck. And most of the games it won from assembling Sanctum Tron. The only other really powerhouse card I have is Enthralling Hold. But this deck did, uh, well, I have Teferi's Tutelage too. That also won a lot, a large number of games, but I did did 3-0 with this deck. Nice. You know, all, all this, I can't believe I'm just so sad looking at Epitaph Golem in the sideboard there. Yeah, and Meteorite. Yeah. And Formite All-Star Prismite. Formite All-Star Prismite. Prismite should have been in the deck. Yeah, this is, it's, I think it's obvious that this is from two weeks ago is probably about the time this draft happened because I, I would build differently. Yeah, I would put Prismite in the main deck and I think I would probably put Meteorite in the main deck over, I don't know, like a Wishcoin Crab or something like that. But yeah, yeah, def- definitely some some it's funny just how cards move over the course of the weeks. Yeah, looking back at drafts is very interesting, especially early in a format, like just going, what, what was I like? What was I thinking here? How did I pass this card and instead take this card? Right. Yep. So you now have the tools you need to go forth and spread the good shrine news. Yeah. I mean, again, like if you're trying to win, probably not the best thing to do. If you're trying to have fun, definitely a viable option. For sure. Yeah. And I think, like we said, that that last draft that I did, I think that was, you know, maybe we saw other routes, you know, you were going slightly different than me, but was not that irresponsible. When, when you get the shrines early is really when you can go hard at it, right? Mm-hmm. When, it's ir- when it's irresponsible is drafting assuming you're going to get the shrines that's when it's a little looser but thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen come check us out on twitch and twitter i'm at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is at twitch.tv slash mr metronome we're both under those same usernames on twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later Number one, the most elusive of shrines for Ethan Sachs this week, the blue shrine. Yeah, I think Sanctum I... of calm waters. Is that right? Yeah, it's so funny. I was thinking about this. Like, I always make, like, try and test you. I'm like, do you know what this card's name is? I don't know. I don't know what the red one is called. I don't know what the white one is called. And I, I, the, the black is stone fangs. The green is fruitful harvest. White is sanctum of light or something. That's definitely. Sanctum of tr- truthful light. That can't be a truthful no. light. <laughs> no, tra- no, tranquil, 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 tranquil's in there somewhere. Hang on. <laughs> Time out. Tranquil, tranquil, wait, did you say tranquil harvest for the green one? Am I mixing fr- them up? Fr- fruitful harvest is the green one. What did I say initially? You it's said tra- like truthful tra- light. <laughs> that. It's definitely tra- wrong. Tranqu- tranquil light, I think, is what I'm going with. Final answer. Let's see. Yes, Sanctum of Tranquil Light. Tranquil Light, okay. Uh, Ooh, baby, the, uh, which is the, red, the other one the that we don't one, know? The red one is Shattered Heights. I would never have gotten I, that one. Yeah, I also would never have gotten that. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's try this again.